I-94 on Lumpen Radio. Welcome, everybody, once again to another edition of I-94. As always, my name is Mr. Jamie Trecker, and I'm joined by Mr. Jeremy Kitchen. Morning. And Mr. Michael Sack. Good morning, Jim. And today we are joined by the author T. Krulos. He's got a brand new book out on conspiracy theories. If Jeremy will give it to me, I will read the title. <laughs> it's called American Madness, the story of the Phantom Patriot and how conspiracy theories hijacked American consciousness. It's out now from Feral House. T. is joining us from the wilds of Milwaukee. T., how you doing? Welcome back to the show. Oh, I'm great. Thanks for having me here. Really appreciate it, buddy. So your new book uh, is about... Well, it, it, it's about conspiracy theories in the United States and in the world in general, but it, it takes us through the lens of one man, Richard McCaslin, who um, got himself into trouble first by dressing up as a real-life superhero, uh, then um, engaging the Secret Service after he tried to break into a, a very exclusive place in California. Uh, and from there, you kind of take us through a tour of American psychogeography as seen uh, kind of in the fever dreams of what appears to be the far right. And I, I kind of wanted to start there because we are in a moment in time where we have a president who traffics openly in conspiracy theories. And in fact, there is a conspiracy theory going on right now before the election that uh, the COVID-19 pandemic is being used to uh, dehumanize Americans and suppress votes and, and eject um Trump from office. And I wondered if you could maybe start off and, and tell us a little bit, first of all, why are these theories so attractive? But moreover, I'm, I'm curious, why are they so attractive to people uh, on the right side of, of policy debates? Yeah. Uh, well, this certainly is a sort of renaissance period of conspiracy theory, I think. Um, and I mean, I think at the base of it, a lot of conspiracy comes from fear and anger and trauma. So when you have a pandemic on top of mass civil unrest, on top of uh, a very shady election, um, it leads to all sorts of conspiracy thinking. So we've really been hit with a tidal wave by it. Um, I think that one of the amazing things about Trump is that Previously, conspiracy theories were always sort of against presidents, whether they were a Democrat or a Republican. But uh, Trump's the only one who's had, like, pro-conspiracies about him, like QAnon, uh, suggesting that he's sort of the savior that's going to save us from this deep state that has been existing um, through our history. So I think that it's, he's really able to... Uh, know that he can play that up and get people sort of riled up. Um, and he loves to entertain conspiracies. I think that he probably believes some of them are true in his gut, which is as good as fact to him. Uh, but he also knows how they can be wielded as a, a weapon against his opponents and to sort of rally his base around him. Well, just to follow up on that, I, I think you make an interesting point that conspiracy theories, as we saw... You know, and, and just I should point out that, you know, conspiracy theories erupted into the American mainstream long ago. You know, conspiracy thinking is certainly not new here. It's it's not new in Europe. Um, people have had theories about everything from men landing on the moon to JFK to 
right through the present day. But you make an interesting point about Trump, and I wondered if, just to follow that up, is that because we live in a very different media ecosystem uh, that we where we lived in before? I mean, we do have 24-hour news channels, one of which is essentially uh, functioning as state propaganda television, which never has happened in American history, that is unabashedly pro-Trump and unabashedly uh, looking to echo uh, whatever political ways he's trying to take the country in. Also with the internet, too, you know, it's like if you had this wild theory back in the day, there was, you know, there would be a small group of people in your social circle, perhaps by mail, but now as you got it, you can read anything and click on something. Yeah. Jones. Yeah. 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 Sorry, so uh, go ahead. Yeah, uh, you know, and I think one of the things that's happened is it's really hard to distinguish between uh, what people are calling fake news and actual fake news. Um, a lot of these media outlets have done a good job in presenting themselves as a legit news source. So if you're not familiar with one of these sites and you see an alarming headline and it's presented in a somewhat professional way, um, you're going to think that this is coming from a legitimate news source. Or I guess maybe you don't really care and it just feeds into your confirmation bias and you, you go along with that as being actual news. So it's I don't think it's ever been more of a hard time to figure out what is a legitimate news source, what's something from the far right or a Russian troll farm, um, so it's very difficult sometimes. Yeah, well, actually, I, I'm a librarian, and you can imagine doing projects with people and with children and and college students and things like that. Uh, but Trump's, you know, he's a master manipulator. He knows his audience. I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but we're actually Chicago Public Library is actually, you know, we're doing a disinformation campaign now and and focusing on how people can see you. Know, to see if something's legit or not. And a lot of these, um, some of these sites that you were talking about actually can fall under legitimate requirements because they know how to set it up. So if you look at it, 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 it seems legit. And I think it's I think it's fascinating that things like the Daily Caller and Breitbart, people will, right. will like use those as sources. And it's just like, I'm sorry, like you can't use yeah. this as a source. <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's other even more mainstream ones. I mean, you know, I think an interesting one is the Epoch Times from China, which yeah. originally started out as, as kind of the mouthpiece of the Falun Gong movement, which was banned in China. And, and Falun Gong, for people who don't know, is kind of a quasi-mystical um, – religion, but it's also based really in, in breathing and kind of Tai Chi to, to oversimplify it. And the Chinese government uh, saw that as a, as a huge threat for some reason. Did they get kicked out? They or, did, okay. yes. They were expelled. And, and the Daily uh, Epoch Times, which started out as a local uh, English language newspaper to the Chinese community, oh, has been transformed into um, a very powerful right-wing organ, um, really starting in 2016. So some of the things that we have seen in terms of the way the media has shifted to amplify and accelerate conspiracy theories have really happened in a very short amount of time. Uh, while things like Breitbart and The Daily Caller and The Drudge Report have, have been around for a decade or more, I do think it's interesting that in since the election of Trump and since the birth of QAnon, we are now seeing an entirely sealed hermetic media ecosystem that exists only to feed off itself and produce more and more kind of conspiracy thinking. And that, to me, is is very new 
um, at least in American history. Did you know that yeah. Fulan, Fulan Gong has a dance troupe? They have like, yes. yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah, it's kind of like this uh, <clears throat> Cirque du Soleil yeah. cult propaganda. Well, I'm sharing it with everyone, not just yeah. Eugene. Yeah. Um, I, I did not know that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I mean, a really important thing here, too, is that uh, the person who promotes this the most is Trump. He's constantly retweeting uh, Breitbart and Daily Caller. He's retweeted Epoch Times before. Um, so, you know, when you see the president of the United States retweeting this stuff as legitimate news, um, a lot of people, of course, are going to take that seriously because they view him as uh, not only an authoritative figure, but, you know, like the top authority figure. So he's done more to spread that than, than anyone. Well, before we get into, because I want to get into the individual case of Richard McCaslin, but before we get into that, you know, when you, say, when you said the word, the phrase confirmation bias, it made me think the, of the parts in your book where the flat earthers specifically, where experiments are conducted to prove whether or not there's curvature uh, in space and and the experiments go against the flat earth theory and they they, they still yeah. adhere to the to to their theory so a lot of this it credible source or not it doesn't it doesn't matter i mean there was another number in there like i, I don't know how they did this poll but the, the number was 12 and a half million people believe in reptilians and that yeah. they've inf infiltrated the united states government you know that it's not uh, – it doesn't matter if it's going to show up in the New York Times or not. These people believe it. They want to believe it. Well, they're not reading the New and, York and, Times. That's <laughs> a problem. You know. Right, and they're not going to because, you know, the New York Times is part of the deep state or whatever. Um, and uh, a lot of this just – a lot of it comes out of mass confusion and t a tonnage, tonnage upon tonnage of information and not having the tools to um, – dissect it and analyze it. I mean, are there, from what you've, from your research, the people you've come across, are, are, are tools to, to analyze information even part of the issue, or is it more just like uh, national mental illness? <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's kind of the appeal of it is they think they're part of this elite group that has seen the, the truth, you know, they've been red-pilled, as they say. And uh, it's sort of, you know, they, they think they're part of this uh, social movement that's, um, you know, the few people that are standing away from the sheep. Uh, it's very frustrating to try to talk to people like this because there's not, nothing you can really show them. You know, you can show them scientific reports or photographs of the earth or, you know, video, all sorts of evidence. And there's nothing that they won't say that is a fake or a deep fake or some sort of hoax. So, I mean, how do you even argue with someone like that? Well, in my personal life, them. ignoring them has been the the, the best <laughs> method possible. Yeah. But how do you do that with the president of the United States and right. Twitter and all that stuff? You know, it it, it it's yeah. frustrating to read about. Yes. Well, let me just before we again, and we do want to also play some stuff from your new book, T, but um, – one of the things that I think you, you make a really salient point on, especially when you're talking about QAnon, is that some of this has the overtones of religion. And a lot of the conspiracy theories actually come out of religious practice and religious belief. 
Um, you know, one of the most notorious fakes, of course, is the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which is an anti-Semitic tract that was produced in Russia for both political and religious gains. Henry Ford was a proponent of that, correct? He certainly yeah, was, yeah. yes. Can you talk a little bit, T, about, you know, the kind of, because it strikes me that, you know, one of the things you're getting at in your book is that people are so invested in these cons because it is, it's, it's no longer whether it's true or false. It's a matter of faith and belief. Yeah. Yeah. And QAnon is a great example of that. I mean, I would definitely say that they qualify as a cult. They have a cult leader who is Donald Trump. Uh, and, you know, sort of the the uh, go between between Trump and the group is this mysterious character who doesn't exist called Q. And uh, they um, they have given up. I've read lots of articles about people who they sort of leave their relationships, leave their families behind because uh, they get too frustrated that their friends and family can't see the truth. So, you know, their new support network or, or family is fellow QAnon members. And they stick to these beliefs no matter how well they're disproven, you know. Um, there's been many failed predictions from Q about this coming storm where all the Democrats are going to be rounded up and arrested. And that, of course, has never happened. But, uh, you know, I thought Q might, uh, QAnon might sort of lurk in a dark corner of the Internet. But that's not what's been happening. They've been growing. They have uh, at least one candidate who uh, is running for the House this year who's going to get in, most wow. definitely. And uh, other candidates around the country. And uh, they have their own super PAC called Disarm the Deep State. So wow. they've, really, they've really grown into sort of a cult slash uh, fringe political movement. It's funny because I'm chuckling through this, but when I was reading the book, I was more frightened than it's chuckled. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. that people it, can be manipulated to believe things like this. Well, let's let's. In fact, this is a good place to stop right now. We're going to play an excerpt from T's new book, and as always, we want to thank Shannon Van Volt, our reader. Uh, music this week was by Jamie Branch. It is always, as always, courtesy of International Anthem, and this is her spinoff band, actually, Antiloper. Um, T will be right back with you in just one minute, and you are listening to I ninety four. You think it was 19 guys that were living in a cave armed with box cutters that knocked down the towers with airplanes in nine seconds? Matthew Nass asked me incredulously, his voice crackling. He smirked at me, indicating such a notion, known to 9-11 conspiracy theorists as the official story, is absurd. I glanced at the table surrounding us in the cafe where we had agreed to meet. Everyone was ignoring us or pretending to. Not that now seemed out of place, he looks like the most typical blue-collar Milwaukeean you can imagine. He was wearing both a Green Bay Packers baseball cap and a green and gold Packers sweatshirt, clear indicators that he was a proud Wisconsinite, and jeans. He had a neatly trimmed mustache and looked like he might work as a construction foreman or in a factory. Nows had agreed to sit down and join me for coffee and tell me what he and a group of thousands of others, members of the 9-11 Truth Movement, who call themselves 9-11 Truthers or simply Truthers, believe really happened on September 11, 2001. On that date, Nows was driving to his job as a middle school teacher in West Allis, a suburb of Milwaukee, when he heard news of the first plane strike over the radio. At the school, he and the principal wheeled out a television and watched in shock as the news unfolded. At the time, Naus believed what he was seeing in the news reports, that members of Al-Qaeda, under the direction of Osama bin Laden, had hijacked four commercial airline flights and crashed them into the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, with a fourth headed to the White House, crashing instead into a field in Pennsylvania. 
But in 2005, Nouse began to see things differently after he heard a segment on a popular radio show called Coast to Coast AM, which explores conspiracy theories and paranormal subjects. That episode discussed the collapse of World Trade Center Building 7, a 47-story structure that wasn't struck by a plane and suddenly collapsed at 5.21 p.m. on 9-11. Experts say that it was the pileup of debris from the Twin Towers and eight hours of fires inside the building that led to the sudden implosion, but truthers say it was clearly a controlled demolition. In the confusion and clouds of dust, there are still unanswered questions about Building 7, which makes it a favorite talking point for truthers. After the show and his own research, Nouse learned more about 9-11 conspiracy. The most common conspiracies say that the Twin Towers, like Building 7, were brought down by controlled demolitions and not the airplanes that struck them. Conspiracy says that the Pentagon was hit by a missile and not an airplane, and that Flight 93, which crashed in Pennsylvania, was shot down deliberately, or that the passengers were relocated, murdered, and their plane was replaced with a fabricated wreck site. More fringe theories suggest that the planes didn't exist at all and were all holograms. Opposing schools of truth or thought suggest the government either stood down and let the terrorists hijack the planes, the let it happen on purpose or lie hop theory, or actively helped in planning the attack, the made it happen on purpose or my hop theory. The reason 9-11 happened, truthers say, was to have a catalyst to invade the Middle East for their oil, and so Bush could have revenge on Saddam Hussein. A secondary benefit would be destroying damning paperwork, a cover-up for evidence of $2.3 trillion in Pentagon money that was missing. Nouse was convinced by what he was reading and became a truther and an active organizer within the movement. A Vietnam vet, Nouse co-funded a group called Veterans for 9-11 Truth, following the lead of similar groups like Scholars for 9-11 Truth and Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. Later, he formed a Milwaukee-based group called Take a Stand for 9-11 Truth. The group held monthly protests in high-traffic areas of Milwaukee, organized meetings, and distributed truther literature and burned copies of DVDs. Nouse also hosted a truther-themed cable access program in West Allis titled Meet the Truth with guests from within the movement. To help illustrate his deep involvement with the truthers, Nouse had brought along a scrapbook for me to look at, which he thumped down on the cafe table. It was filled with photos of him at various protest marches, truther conferences, and poses of him with prominent truthers. Here, here's me with the guys who made loose change, he said, pointing to a couple of pictures. Loose Change 9-11, an American coup, is the truther's most popular piece of propaganda viewed by millions of people online. Alex Jones was an executive producer. Nas pointed to a picture of him and Jones together at a 9-11 protest in Manhattan near Ground Zero. Jones had quickly become a hero of the truther movement when he predicted 9-11 happening months before it did. As a Rolling Stone article reports, on July 25, 2001, Jones looked into the camera and issued a warning that has become legendary among 9-11 truthers. Please, he employed, call Congress. Tell them we know the government is planning terrorism. Jones mentioned the World Trade Center by name and warned against the propaganda he expected to accompany the attacks. Bin Laden is the boogeyman, and they need this Orwellian phony system, he said. Guys, that was a new reading from T's new book about conspiracy theories, cults, and the very sad story of one individual in particular. And I do want to get to him because we haven't even focused on him and we're, you know, a quarter of the way through the program. You tell this story of a gentleman, um, Richard McCaslin, who was a real life superhero or purported to be, who mm -hmm. then got it in his head that he was going to uncover... Um, 
nefarious goings on at a um, party, uh, a party retreat place called the Bohemian Grove, which is uh, a place in California. I've actually I've been outside of it. Um, where members of the uh, elite, including presidents and, and heads of industry, meet and have a very um, strange, well, 1920s sort of ritual play um, that I, I think was probably fairly common in men's clubs of that time, but looks, I think, strange kind of out of context. And your your hero in, in this... Uh, takes it upon himself to, to try to infiltrate this. It goes very badly. Um, and he is uh, interviewed by the Secret Service and a number of people. And, of course, he's incarcerated and, and found to be uh, not necessarily all there. But what you point out in your book is that Richard, who was a, a previous to this, um, you know, an upstanding normal citizen. He was a veteran. And um, you kind of make the point that he was uniquely susceptible because of his background and uh, because of his life to being seeded by conspiracy theories like a virus. And you point to Alex Jones, the radio telecaster out of Austin, Texas. Can you talk a little bit about this? Because I thought this was really fascinating, particularly because we're living through a contagious pandemic right now. Yeah. Um, so I met Richard because I had started a blog for my first book, which was titled Heroes in the Night. Um, it came out in 2013, and it was about real-life superheroes, who are these people that adopt their own superhero personas. So Richard sends me an email and says, hey, you might be interested in my story because I was a real-life superhero called the Phantom Patriot, and I raided this place called the Bohemian Grove in 2002, and I set it on fire. And I was like, oh boy, okay, what's going on? What's going on here? So I started by researching the Bohemian Grove and I got back to Richard and I said, yeah, well, I'm, I'm really interested in your story. I want to find out how you got here and, and what this is all about. So I began this uh, long correspondence with him and eventually met him a few times in person. But yeah, the this, this story really starts, um, his conspiracy belief starts uh, in 2000, the year 2000. He happens to be living in Austin, Texas at that time. He's going through a very rough patch in his life where uh, both of his parents had died he was really struggling um, with finding direction in his life, I guess is how I would put it. And so he's kind of uh, badly emotionally damaged and kind of down and out. And he happens to be sitting on his couch and he sees a uh, documentary that was made by Alex Jones, which uh, was airing on Austin Public Access. And this documentary uh, highly suggests that in the Bohemian Grove, they're doing this satanic occult ritual and that uh, they might even possibly be sacrificing live people. Who knows? And uh, so Richard sees this and he's, um, he's like, no way. This is going to be my new superhero mission is I'm going to go into this place and free these people who are going to be sacrificed in front of this giant statue of an owl. Uh, and he gets very, you know, fired up about it and puts together a costume, starts collecting weapons, and um, eventually he drives there, and, and he knows how to get there, by the way, 
because at the end of his documentary, Alex Jones gives you driving instructions on how you can find the Bohemian Grove. <laughs> so uh, he goes there and, you know, he's thinking he's going to upend a satanic ritual in progress, uh, but he, he doesn't find anything there and has an armed standoff uh, with the local sheriff's department and they uh, arrest him and he spends six and a half years in jail. So uh, I got to find out his Richard's whole life story. Um, but, you know, the thing that was really making a connection to me about this book was, I'm sure you remember in 2016, there was this guy who raided a pizza place in oh, yeah. Washington, D.C. because of Pizzagate. Ping pong. Um, yeah, the Comet Pizza. Com yeah. Comet Pizza. Yeah. yeah. And it was the same thing. He believed that they were holding these child sex slaves in a secret basement in this, in this pizzeria. So very much like Richard, you know, he, he brought a gun and he raided this place and he didn't find anything. And there's other stories kind of similar to this too. And what you find over and over again is the name that pops up like a bad penny is always Alex Jones slash Infowars who kind of uh, push these guys over the edge. That's, I wanted to touch on Alex Jones for a second, but I, there's two things. One, there's a band called Alex Jones Prison Planet. I don't know if you've ever heard them, but they're a death, I heard them. They're a death metal band, and they use all samples of Alex Jones. It's, yeah. it's fantastic if you've never heard I don't it. know if I could handle it. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing is, too, is what I wanted to talk to you about, or what I wanted to ask you about is, you know, these guys, when I was reading the book, you know, we, we we were throwing out, you know, adjectives like loony and crazy and stuff. But they're actually like what I see is, you know, sad and lonely. And it's kind of it reminds me of like when I was in high school, like why I got into punk rock, because like I didn't have, any, you know, I was a book nerd and I didn't have any friends. And, and you know, kind of it's like a grown up version of like dress up, you know what I mean? And. I, I think LARPing, basically. What's that? LARPing. That, yeah, 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 LARPing or cosplay or something. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, you know, unfortunately with weapons and fire and, and things of that nature. But I think, you you know, you humanized Richard. And, and yes. you know, you even say in the book that you became friends. And, you know, I, I was well, as I was reading, I'm like, I'd probably hang out with this dude, too. And one of my favorite photos in the book is when you're with him holding that sign up that you drew, like says no new world order. <laughs> I, yeah, I was yeah. actually telling a friend about that, but I, you know, I think that that shows something, you know, not only about uh, you as being an open-minded person and being able to see this guy just as a human being, but I, I think that was a part of the story too. You know, Richard, it, it, it was a sad tale. Well, it, 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 that's the tragedy of it to me. I, I had the same experience reading the book. I thought you did a great job T. Um, you know, Thanks. not not writing it off like most of us probably would, calling him an incel loser and you know, yeah, whatever, whatever people say. Um, no, but that, I was generally genuinely interested in this story, you know. Yeah, and and you made me yeah. interested as a reader. But the yeah. tragedy of it is, there was mental illness involved, and when yeah. you there were a couple points in the book where you were being very compassionate and friendly and trying to help Richard as a friend. And, um, it, you know, it turns out it's not a solution. It's not something, to me, it doesn't seem like anything could have kept him from the path that he was on. Yeah. You know, so in the uh, back of my mind while I'm reading this, I'm like, okay, well, you know, are there any potential solutions for these people who feel lonely and lost out there and, you know, have obsessive tendencies and romantic failures, da 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 
is is there anything that can really be done? I I don't know, man. I mean, like, I th- I thought you did a lot. Yeah, he he, he really um, he just had this very paranoid mindset all the time. So uh, you know, he would be judging people a lot, and if he saw anything that he thought was a strange symbolism or you know weird behavior, and it would always be something very mundane, you know. But he would see like this deep symbolism in something, um, and there's a couple times he even got suspicious of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just I I can't imagine what it's like thinking that way all the time about everyone, and it really he had uh, a lot of trouble maintaining friendships at all, um, or you know functioning in society at all. So I I always felt bad, and I'd always hope that he would find something where he could. Maybe have these beliefs, but also just, you know, coexist and function or find a group of peers or something like that. But it was very difficult for him. Was was his paranoia, I guess what, what I'm trying to get at, was Richard's paranoia and mental state because he was so invested in conspiracy theories or did the theories themselves lead him to that? And I, I think that's kind of an important distinction because I think as... You, you do note, you know, he was a vulnerable person. And in some yeah. ways you could say he was exploited. Um, that's not to excuse his behavior, but I'm, I'm just wondering if, you know, this is a case of somebody who is um, infected by these ideas or, you know, was this going to be his path regardless? Yeah, I think one thing about him was that he was willing to take these kind of big leaps all of a sudden. Like, um, before he watched this Alex Jones documentary, he really didn't have any interest in conspiracy at all. He was completely converted into being a believer by seeing this documentary, and then he kind of went down this path from there. But the other thing is, uh, he was very much a Christian, but while he was in jail, uh, he was converted to be a Jehovah's Witness. And then after he got out of jail, um, he started reading the work of David Icke, and decided to abandon religion completely based on his work. So I would say those are pretty major, um, you know, challenges to your belief. If you're going to suddenly start believing in conspiracy theory or go from religious to not being religious. So I think he just had this mindset where he was willing to dive into, you know, headfirst into these ideas. Well, the stalking thing. Yeah, I was oh, going to yeah. bring up to Shelley, right? Is it Shelley? Is that how you say her name? Yes. Um, yeah. You were talking about him seeing, you know, symbolism and things that don't exist. And there was a in the book, you have an album cover of hers, which is a, an illustration. And he went into the detail of all these different things. But can you tell? Yeah. Me? I should say who she is, though. I mean, yeah, she's I was like, going to ask T. Country, can you tell us a little bit yeah. about Shelley Wright and that that whole, you know, the winning the date with her and everything, and how that? Yeah. I think that had a big impact on him. Yeah. Just from yes, yeah. So this was, uh, I had been interviewing Richard for about two years before he started telling me this story. And it just took a real wild turn. <laughs> you know? I was not expecting it, for sure. But uh, during the same period where he was getting into conspiracy and had all these rough things happen to him with his parents dying, he also uh, got, um, I would say, an unhealthy fatuation with a country music singer named Shelley Wright, who I had never heard of because I'm not big in the country. But um, so he had this very large inheritance after his parents died. 
and he didn't really know what to do with it. You know, he didn't um, have any like goals that he could put that money towards. I don't think. So he was just kind of wandering around with all of this money, and he went to Nashville and he uh, uh, he put a bid at an auction to win a dinner date with Shelley Wright. And I think that he really thought that they were going to go on this dinner date and she was going to fall in love with him, you know, and this was going to be sort of uh, this beautiful story that was going to emerge out of all this tragedy he had been experiencing. So um, they went on this date and, uh, you know, he, his expectations were not met, uh, are safe to say. And he was very heartbroken by it. And I think that's kind of what pushed him over the edge to finally raid the Bohemian Grove and stuff like that. And for the rest of his life, he was um, just kind of had this fatuation with Shelley Wright. And um, he came up with these conspiracies about her and saw symbolism in her album covers and stuff like that. Well, his thinking even on the date was kind of skewed, man. Like, at yeah. least his recollection of it. I remember there was a part where he was recalling a, a comment she made about her brother when they were in the limo ride. Yeah. And, and he was like, oh, like, uh, you know, this woman She's wouldn't talk to me about her brother unless she was thinking of having me as her boyfriend. You know, yeah. you know, and it's just like, it, it, but he's also, I also want to mention that he's not a total dummy or anything you know like you said he was wandering around not sure what to do with this money but he this this guy was a u.s marine he was honorably discharged he was a stunt mm -hmm. man he was just kind of an oddball like who was yeah. fairly intelligent and felt like he didn't fit in yeah um no I, I i i don't think he was i never thought he was dumb uh i mean he loved to read so he was he was well read on american history um like you say he was in the marines he went to stuntman school he had this interesting life and uh, he's this was not in a bad, good place mentally during these years. Well, with that, um, we do need to take a break for station identification and uh, to remind people of the folks that make this station possible. We are speaking with T. Krulos here. He is the author of American Madness, as well as a number of other books. T. is a repeat guest on our show. T., you can stick around for a little bit for us? Yes, please. Awesome. So right after the break, we're going to hear another selection from T's new book. Again, we want to thank Shanna Van Volt and the International Anthem Recording Company and you. You are listening to I-94 here on Lumpin' Radio. This fall, only on I-94. Gis Jen, Ivan Vladislavich, Wendy Erskine, Lucy Bridge, Taya Krulos, David Wyden, Lee Weiner, Jen Craig, and many, many more. Only on Love and Radio's Books and Literature Show. I-94. Every Sunday and Thursday morning, 11 a.m. And now, back to I-94 on Love and Radio. Richard calls his work art therapy. Cornerpoint and psychologists said he was delusional. In their psychological profile of Richard, the Secret Service reported that his psycho-environmental stressors were rated as severe, and listed his psychological abuse by his father, poor self-image, shyness, awkwardness towards women, unhappiness with his time in the Marines, lack of satisfying employment, the death of his parents, his unsuccessful reconnaissance foray into the Bohemian Grove, 
and his failure to establish a mutually satisfying personal relationship with a country singer on whom he had a crush, as well as his legal difficulties as impacting his mental state. The Secret Service psychologist lists in his report insight on the Phantom Patriot and the Bohemian Grove Raid. Having grown up with an over-controlling and physically abusive father, it is perhaps not particularly surprising that Mr. McCaslin should want to come to rescue or otherwise intervene on the case of children whom he saw as enslaved or physically abused by those who are older or more powerful than they are. This seems to have made him, then, particularly vulnerable to the message of radio commentator Alex Jones about the Bohemian Grove and the supposed videotaping of child sacrifice and child slavery rituals at that location. The psychologist also notes that the Phantom Patriot and other superhero personas might have derived from Richard's shyness and feeling of inadequacy with women. Mr. McCaslin's report of going into the darkness of night with his skeleton mask and the garb of the Phantom Patriot is reminiscent of schoolboy rescue fantasies for young damsels whom he felt too shy to approach, but with whom he was utterly fascinated, the report notes. The report indicates that the psychologist did not feel Richard was an excessively violent individual and noted he had been able to channel his energy into the things like high school football and joining the Marines, but didn't eliminate him as a potential threat. While Mr. McCaslin does not single out President Bush as being even a leader at this preconceived evil band at the Bohemian Grove, the Secret Service psychologist noted, and someone at the Secret Service reading the report highlighted the rest of the sentence, he is quite clear that he would kill anyone, including President Bush, if he were to verify his suspicions that President Bush, or anyone else, is actively involved with the enslavement or murder of children. Welcome back, everybody, to this edition of I-94. My name is Mr. Jamie Trecker. As always, I'm joined by Mr. Jeremy Kitchen. Howdy. And Mr. Michael Sack. Yellow. Today, we're speaking with T. Krulos. He is the author of American Madness. It is out now from Feral House. And in fact, just coming out of that break, you heard a selection from his book. And it is uh, an unfortunate reading of the court-appointed uh, psychiatrist's uh, view of the subject of his book, Richard McCaslin. Uh, it was not really a, a great psychological uh, evaluation for a man who I think, as you may have heard in the first part of the book, uh, was in, enmeshed and kind of enraptured in various conspiracy theories. And we've been talking about conspiracy theories today with T. I do want to get back into Richard's a very sad denouement. But before we do that, you know, before the break, we had been talking about Alex Jones. And I think it's worth going back here for a second. You know, Alex Jones, for people that don't know, started off kind of as a minor gadfly in Austin, Texas. And he was actually featured in a Richard Linkletter film uh, where he was a kind of a minor character and an actor. Um, but he has emerged as a major force in extreme right wing talk radio and on the web. Uh, his channel Infowars has actually been deplatformed by uh, people as varied as Pinterest and Facebook, which kind of tells you a little bit about him. He's probably most familiar, however, to our listeners for a very, um, in my opinion, sick conspiracy involving the Sandy Hook massacre of children oh, yeah. that is at a Connecticut school. Uh, T, I want to talk to you a little bit about this because you know this obviously is something that I think most of our listeners would know Mr. Jones from. He lost a court case. He, for people that are not familiar with this, maybe you've been living under a rock or something, but he basically slandered the families who had lost their children in a, in a massacre at a, at a Connecticut elementary school and convinced people to go and stalk these people who had lost their children, claiming they were false flag actors and all this other nonsense. Can you talk a little bit about this? Because this, is, this kind of took Alex Jones uh, from being... Somebody who was considered kind of a harmless nut in Texas 
to being a, a pretty vicious internet personality. Yeah, I always kind of say that uh, this is a point where I really fell out of love with conspiracy theory. Um, because before that, I, I usually found it to be at least interesting or entertaining. Um, and like you said, kind of harmless, whatever, uh, fun or speculation. But um, when, when these Sandy Hook hoax conspiracies started to circulate, and I found out that the, the children or the parents of these children that had been massacred were getting harassed on the street sometimes. They would so just be walking hard. down the street. And uh, someone would come up to them and start accusing them of, you know, fabricating their children's lives. Um, it's just, it's just terribly disgusting. And um, it really showed me, like, how dark and dangerous conspiracy thinking can be. Um, and, you know, Alex Jones, he still is out there all the time. He was recently in the news for his anti-mask protest down in Austin. And he's still inspiring people um, to do crazy stuff. So recently there was this case where there were militia-type guys in Michigan who were plotting to kidnap the governor of Michigan. And looking through their social media stuff, we see that at least a couple of them were sharing links to InfoWars stuff. And they were also sharing a lot of anti-vaxxer stuff, pandemic, um, you know, uh, some of them were sharing QAnon type conspiracy stuff, so it's uh, it's still a problem. T, do you think that like Alex Jones and how do you say is it Ick Ick Ike Ike yeah. David Ike these guys that are uh, I thought his name was Ickies that's how I've been saying it sounds good because we have an Ickies we had a policy. he's a failed <laughs> should we point out that if you don't know who he is he's a failed former goalkeeper for Hereford United and a failed sports broadcaster in Britain so, yeah you know and and. But these guys, do you think these guys really believe this stuff or they're doing it to be famous? I think that they kind of got stuck in their own trap where they might have um, started by believing in some of the stuff. And then they realize, hey, I'm making a lot of money doing this. So when you have that motivation and you have this sort of uh, devoted following, then you kind of um, start playing your own character. In fact, that was... When Alex Jones had to go to a court case, his lawyer had tried to make the argument that Alex Jones was playing a character named Alex Jones, but that they were not necessarily one and the same. Um, but yeah, Alex Jones has made millions of dollars uh, selling kind of bunk supplements on his website. And of course, in order to do that, he needs web traffic. And in order to get web traffic, he just rants and raves and screams about any crazy thing that pops into his head. And uh, David Icke is, is the same way. And so, I mean, I think it's worth pointing out that, you know, while your book, you know, focuses on American conspiracy theories, this is a, a growing problem worldwide. In fact, QAnon um, is being investigated right now in Germany. Uh, it's being investigated in France, Poland, um, Poland, Poland as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, you used the word pandemic just a couple minutes ago, which is an interesting thing and you know we referenced it at the very start of the show where I, I noted that one of the the latest conspiracy theories is that this entire covid pandemic we're, we're moving through is made up can you talk a little bit about this because this this to me also is a point where conspiracy theories um have have changed 
like you from, you know, kind of something that made up a, a nice X-Files episode, you know what I mean? Or it was fun to read yes. about the lizard people of Lemuria, you know what I mean? For, for those yeah, of us who, yeah. I mean, I'm going to be into comic books, Jeremy's in the horror movies, you know, we're all big readers. We, we get some of the stuff that's, you know, being made fun of here. But, you know, it seems to be that these are accelerating and becoming far, far darker and far more dangerous. And I wonder if you can talk about why that is. What what happened here to push some of this stuff over the edge? Yeah, uh, Plandemic is a, a great, great example. So uh, there was this documentary called The Plandemic, um, and it started circulating online. And this really talks about like the fake news stuff we were talking about before. Uh, it's presented as being like a legit documentary. It's professionally done. They have so-called experts that are speaking on this subject in the documentary. And uh, people are afraid um, and upset about the pandemic. A lot of them are stuck at home. So this thing begins to spread on the internet. Uh, YouTube and other platforms uh, eventually start taking it down. But by the time they start taking it down, it's already been viewed like 11 million times by people all over the world. Um, so that's really just sort of the danger of our internet-based culture, especially if a lot of us are working from home or stuck at home these days, is this stuff spreads so quickly um, and people believe it. And, and like you were saying, it's spread over to Europe. Uh, another problem they're having in Europe is people are burning down 5G towers pretty frequently because there's a lot of conspiracies about 5g and then they tie some of those into the pandemic uh seeing that 5g is either the cause or an accelerant of coronavirus um so it's just it's really gotten out of control and it's not just people like in a chat room it's people going out and burning down 5g towers or plotting to kidnap the governor of Min of michigan yeah i, I was gonna ask why uh why you think this stuff can't just be ignored away, you know, on <clears throat> on a policy level or or just in you know, on social platforms? And I was going to ask if you thought it was because of real life practical consequences, danger being put upon people, or if it was because of money. Money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I so I think something that I hear people say is, "Oh, you should just ignore these people." You know, don't give them don't give them attention. That's what they they want and stuff. So I mean, on the one hand, you you don't want to like uh, reinforce them, but on the other hand, uh, people need to know about this. And uh, you're talking about the library doing a program on misinformation. We need to see a lot more of that. People need to be educated about what reliable news sources are, um, how to determine if something is fake or not, because this is dangerous. It's, it's having real-life dangerous consequences. So I think that, you know, you can't just ignore it now. It's gotten, it's gotten too far. Too big. You can't yeah. just ignore it. We're running out of time, but I did want to mention that Richard's story was a tragedy, and it, it was, yeah. you know, that's mental illness and loneliness. And, I, I, again, I think you did a good job with empathy for him, but... You know, I, I just wanted to emphasize before we close that, you know, pick up the book and you'll see what happens to Richard. And it's it's a it's a dark, sad ending. But um, yeah. going through this wormhole and 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 seeing all these things that he was involved with, you know, it, there, I, I think people should be accountable. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, so one thing about Alex Jones was Richard did this raid and, you know, Alex Jones's response was to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that somebody took me seriously, pretty much. He said, that sounds crazy that he would do that. Well, I mean, he's the one who keeps popping up, inspiring these people. So I'm not saying that it's all his fault or responsibility, but um, he definitely seems to be one of the people that is inspiring people to do stuff like this. Right. Well, we've been speaking with T. Krulos. He is the author of the new book out, American Madness, the story of the Phantom Patriot and how conspiracy theories hijacked American consciousness. Uh, it's out now from Feral House. It's available at all good bookstores, and I'm hoping all good libraries. We T, have it. There you go. So, <laughs> T, real quickly before we let you go, you, you, you put out a lot of books. Uh, we've had you on the show a couple times. Tell us what's coming up next, even though this one just came out, I know, but I, I'm yeah. sure you're working on something else. So tell us what's going on. <laughs> Uh, I am. I'm working on a couple of different projects right now. Um, one of them is gonna is sort of about subcultures and social movements during the Trump administration. Um, so I'm just starting to develop that one right now, and I have a couple of other ideas. I'm not sure what's gonna come out of the pipeline first, but um, I'm working on stuff. Great. T, thanks so much for joining us again today. Once again, T. Krulos. You can find information about T on his website. Just look it up. His name is spelled like the hot, tasty beverage. You will find it. Uh, T, thanks so much for joining us again today from Milwaukee. Once again, this has been a presentation of Lumpen Radio. You've been listening to I-94. We will be back next week at this time. We'll see you then. Q's appeal is part of a more massive culture war. That's the direction sites like InfoWars have gravitated toward, too. The conspiracy is mixed with pieces aimed at making triggered liberal snowflakes look dumb or sinister. The fear of the liberal lifestyle agenda has led to the rise of conspiracy as well as the alt-right and white identity movements. Liberals view conservatives as Bible-thumping, racist, sexist, homophobic, uneducated gun nuts. Conservatives, meanwhile, have a hatred of the concept of a liberal new world order filled with words like white privilege, social justice, gun control, transgender, safe space, climate change, pro-choice, and multicultural. Anyone who doesn't agree with liberals gets labeled as racist or sexist. Left speak, as it is sneeringly called, is full of ideas about socialism, identity politics, abortion, and sanctuary cities. It's a snobby, elitist, and naive worldview where reality is distorted to fit an agenda. Left speak is predicated on lying, on transforming rather than reporting. There are three forms of lying, omission, exaggeration, and misrepresentation, David Solway writes in an essay titled The Lingo of the Left. The left has mobilized all three commutations of the actual, leaving out what does not suit, inflating what does, and falsifying what may. Many on the right view liberals as being damaging to traditional family values. Globalist singer Celine Dion has introduced her new line of gender-neutral children's clothing designed to liberate children from the traditional roles of boy and girl, writes Lori Colley, publisher of a newsletter called Praying Citizen, and one of the authors of QAnon, An Invitation to the Great Awakening. It's not just harmless fashion, folks. It's a satanic mindset, organized and strategic. Without a nuclear family, held together by a genetic male husband and a genetic female wife, we are doomed. The global elite's goal is an end to monogamy, God-given genders, and normal procreation. One of the things that makes the Clintons so sinister in the minds of far-right conspiracists is a theory called the Clinton body count that suggests the political power couple has climbed the ladder by putting out a hit on a number of people who have stood in their way from the start of their careers in Little Rock to the present day. 
This body count of lawyers, journalists, and politicians runs from a dozen to over a hundred, depending on the theorist and how far they are willing to stretch the degree of separation between the Clintons and the alleged victims. The theories also suggest that the Clintons ran a drug empire, a child trafficking ring, and other sinister enterprises. The usual starting point for this theory is the suicide of Vince Foster. Foster was an Arkansas lawyer and a friend of the Clintons who became Bill Clinton's deputy White House counselor. Suffering from depression, Foster shot himself in Fort Marcy Park in Virginia in 1993. A line from his suicide note read, I was not meant for the job or the spotlight of public life in Washington. Here, ruining people is considered sport. Theories quickly spread that Foster knew too many Clinton secrets and that Hillary and Bill had arranged a hit, making it look like a suicide. Despite there being no evidence Foster was murdered by anyone, the Clinton body count theory took off, spread on the airwaves by people like Rush Limbaugh. Soon anyone tangentially related to the Clintons who had died was added to the conspiracy. A more recent alleged victim, and a point that QAnon rallies behind, is the death of Democratic National Committee employee Seth Rich, who conspiracists believe was murdered for being a potential whistleblower. On July 10, 2016, Rich, who worked as the DNC's voter expansion data director, was shot twice in the back. His murder is unsolved but suspected to be an attempted robbery. Doubt was cast on this conclusion when it was revealed that Rich still had his wallet, phone, and watch on him. It appeared nothing was stolen. Conspiracy theories were soon put forth on Reddit threads and other conspiracy sites like whatdoesitmean.com that Rich was murdered for his involvement in the DNC email dump of 2016, sending the emails to WikiLeaks to help damage Hillary's campaign from the inside. In an interview, Julian Assange helped the theory grow when he hinted their source could have been Rich, without confirming or denying, and offering a $20,000 reward for information on who killed him. Rich being assassinated by the deep state DNC was too juicy a conspiracy not to share and was soon disseminated into the internet by Infowars and other famous conspiracists. Roger Stone, who has promoted the Clinton body count theory since the 90s, shared the Seth Rich theory as being just the latest Clinton-sanctioned murder. Stone claimed that there was an attempted assassination on his own life in 2016, as he first reported on Infowars, and later told CNN's Anderson Cooper in 2018 that he had been poisoned by radioactive polonium, which had left him extremely ill and caused lesions on his face. Soon after that, he was T-boned in a hit-and-run that had been unsolved. Though he didn't mention his longtime enemies, the Clintons, he said that the deep state moves in strange ways, and that the attempt on his life was meant to frame the Russians. The Seth Rich theories made their ways into the mainstream, where they were covered by Fox News, promoted by Sean Hannity, among others. Fox later issued a retraction, and Rich's family sued Fox, it was dismissed, and the Washington Times, who issued an apology for their part in spreading the conspiracy theory. But the retractions were too late. Rich has entered into the mythology of conspiracy, and signs asking who killed Seth Rich with his photo are still spotted at rallies. I-94 is Nopin Radio's books and literature program, airing every Sunday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Central. This episode featured Taya Kulos, author of American Madness, the story of the Phantom Patriot and how conspiracy theories hijacked American consciousness, out now from Feral House. This episode originally aired on October 29, 2020. I-94 is a Lumpen Radio production, with readings by Shanna Van Bolt, show intro and promo voiced by David Green, music by Laurie Johnson and Bill Bennett from the KPM Archive. For more information on I-94 and for past episodes, visit EYE94.org. 
For more information on Lumpin' Radio, visit lumpinradio.com. 